I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket at dr-gen.com. Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg is a mother of three and a 20-plus year pediatrician, board certified, who has called all of her amazing advice and made a series of five-minute videos on everything from feeding and sleeping to safety and all types of parenting issues, which basically every parent out there can use, especially in the middle of the night when you can't reach your pediatrician. So this is like a must do. And she's offering a discount to everyone with code PIP20. PIP20 20 is the code to get 20% off of all of her modules. So definitely go to dr-gen.com and check it out. It's also on a link in my website too, zibbyowens.com. I'm excited to be here today with Alyssa Friedland in person and Kermit Roosevelt III via Skype for a new project called First Street, which has been released on an app called Serial Box, S-E-R-I-A-L, Serial Box, which is an app that allows you to both read and toggle between reading and audio on your app and is super cool. And full disclosure, I actually invested in Serial Box a little while ago and think it's just the coolest and this new property came out and it's going to be a TV show and it's just super cool. So the authors, there are actually six authors who collaborated to do the First Street novel on Serial Box, Alyssa Friedland and Kermit Roosevelt III, who I'm interviewing. Also Jasmine Guillory, Catherine McKenzie, Randy Susan Myers, and Sean Klumperens. So today I'm with Alyssa Friedland, who's the author of three novels, Love and Miscommunication, The Intermission, and The Floating Feldmans. I actually already interviewed Alyssa for The Intermission. A graduate of Yale University, where she was the manager editor of the Yale Daily News and Columbia Law School. Alyssa started her career working at a law firm before moving to writing full-time after the birth of her second child. She has contributed to many publications, including New York, Modern Bride, Real Simple, and The Washington Post. She grew up in New Jersey and currently lives in New York City with her husband and three children. Kermit Roosevelt III, who goes by the name Kim, is a writer, author, lawyer, and professor at the University of Pennsylvania. His novels include In the Shadow of the Law and Allegiance. A frequent op-ed contributor, he has written for the New York Times, Time, the Washington Times, and other publications. He is the great-great-grandson of United States President Theodore Roosevelt and the fifth cousin four times removed of President Franklin D. Roosevelt and is a frequent keynote speaker. He currently lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I'm going to welcome Alyssa in person, Kim on the phone, and you can hear all about what Serial Box is all about and this new very exciting project called First Street. So welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Alyssa and Kim, our little double session here. (laughs) Thank you. So can you Tell listeners what First Street is about. Kim, I'm going to let you do it. Sure. So First Street is a character-driven drama that's set inside the United States Supreme Court. And the main characters are law clerks for the Supreme Court. So we thought it would be very interesting to take this powerful, important branch of government that operates mostly in secrecy and try to give people a look inside it through the lives of the people who sort of work behind the scenes. So, you know, you read about the justices sometimes You never read about the clerks, but they're there. They're working on all these cases. In some situations, they're actually very important. Like sometimes they affect the outcome of the cases. And interestingly, this whole book has been put out on an entirely new platform. It's not an actual book in your hands, but it's on an amazing new app slash platform called Serial Box. So tell me about Serial Box, how you got hooked up with it, what it was like to create content for a new service like this. Tell me that whole thing. 
So our fearless creator is Catherine McKenzie, who's had either nine or 10 best-selling books already. She writes mostly thrillers. And she's just the kind of person who has an idea a minute, probably two ideas a minute. And she came up with this idea. I can't quite remember how she learned about Cereal Box initially, but she had it. Actually, she had like five ideas and they rejected all of them. And then this was the one she had basically scribbled on the back of a napkin throw away, like expected nothing. And that this was the one that they pounced on. And she, you know, put together her team of writers because unlike traditional books that you find in a bookstore, the idea of Serial Box is that it's written like a television show. So we had a writer's room and we all gathered for three days in Washington, D.C., Because Kim, I know we'll get to it later, but because Kim had clerked for the Supreme Court, he was able to get us a behind-the-scenes tour, and we spent three days together. I don't think only two people in the room had ever met before, so here we are with a producer and six of us. We all have different writing styles, and we spent three days hashing out a plot. And as far as the app goes, what I love the most about Serial Box is that it's a seamless toggle back and forth between audio and reading. So when you're on the subway, it's perfect for commuting. You're reading on the subway, and then instead of having to put your book away, you press one button and it switches to audio when it's time to get off the subway, and then you walk the rest of the way to work, and you're still in the story. I don't know any other platform that does it as seamlessly. And I've listened to a few Serial Box books, and obviously, given the name Serial Box, they're meant to be serialized. So if this is successful, it will continue on for multiple seasons. And just to clarify, it's S-E-R. It's not cereal like you're eating cereal with your kids. It's like S-E-R-I-A-L. So that's what we're trying to say, cereal box. So Catherine pitched different series. Mm -hmm. They jumped on this. You got in a writer's room. Tell me about your individual contributions. So then with all that data, did you take it back and like go off and write it and then like meet back up? Did you all review each other's work? Like how can you possibly collaborate on a writing project with so many people? impressive. I had thought it was going to be impossible. Yeah. Um, Mostly just stylistically. I had read some of the other writers' books and they were all fantastic, but we all have our own voices. But I think it's kind of like when you go to another country and you start hearing like their, you know, manners of speech and then you pick them up quickly. Like we all kind of sort of took on each other's like verbal tics, I would say. Kim and I wrote our chapters together. So Kim, why don't you tell Zibby how amazing it was? Well, it was amazing. I, I had never actually collaborated on any kind of writing project with someone before. And I was a little bit wary. I mean, I initially was actually brought in just as a consultant, but then I got so excited about the project that I really wanted to do some of the writing too. And the way it worked was we decided, so we spent several days together and we decided sort of who the characters were and what we wanted the big story arc to be. And then we broke out individual episodes and tried to figure out how we wanted those episodes to advance to the larger plot and then the sort of monster of the week plot. And then, you know, we assigned the episodes and Alyssa and I work together. And we basically just, we, we talked about it and then we kind of alternated scenes or we, we picked the scenes that we wanted to write and we sent drafts back and forth. And then when a draft of an episode was done, everyone would review it and everyone would have comments. And, you know, that's where I sort of expected the problems to arise because we have different writing styles and, and different backgrounds. But actually I thought it really went surprisingly well and, and people worked together in a really selfless and not ego-driven and dedicated to producing the best collaborative project that we could weigh, which was really gratifying. It was a great experience. I think we were all really excited for a group project because we're all writers and we're all alone all the time. And so to finally have something that we can work on together, and we had like these group text 
threads going all the time. And like, it was often very funny and like, you know, we're all into literature, we're all word geeks. And so it was just fun. And it was really nice to be able to laugh like during the process. And writing for a different type of medium other than, you know, a long form, you both have written books. Did you try to do anything differently for this audience or did you, or was it the same? Was it just like, okay, it doesn't matter where the content's going. I'm going to just write the way I write and make it great. Or was there, were there any elements of it that you consciously changed knowing that it was like an audio on your phone type of medium? I, I can say definitely yes for that. I mean, especially because Serial Box releases the episodes weekly. Mm-hmm. So you want to end on a big cliffhanger because you want to make sure people come back. So I would say that was the most important thing for me. Whereas like, in my novels, yes, of course, it's always nice to hook someone at the end of a chapter, but it's not remotely the same pressure. You too, Kim? Did you have to? Yeah, I think that that was the big difference. It wasn't so much that it's going to be audible. It was that it's it's serialized. So we were really writing episodes, not chapters. You know, as, as Alyssa said, it's sort of more a TV series structure than a novel structure. I mean, we did think you put it all together, it's like a novel, but the chapter structure is, is really more like the TV episodes. And now it is actually going to be on TV, which is so cool. We hope so. I, right? mean, I feel like with Hollywood, yeah. you really We're very excited. never know what's going to end up happening. But yeah, it, it's very promising. And it was optioned by, or not optioned, tell me the, where is it going to be? How can people watch it? Perhaps, oh, perhaps. <laughs> I wish we knew well, all that. Yeah. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. It was, I guess the rights were purchased by, what is it? 2929. 2929, which is Mark Cuban's company. Yeah. So it's in really powerful, good hands. It's super exciting. I have so many businesses that like, once I get to know Mark Cuban, I can't wait to go on Shark Tank. Totally. I have a lot of ideas. I'm going to slip you a few ideas. (laughs) That's Um, so cool. Yeah. No, we're excited. And let's talk a little about the content of First Street. You have behind the curtains, as you said, look into what it's like to be a Supreme Court justice. How much, Kim, was autobiographical, like based on your own clerkship with Justin David Souter? And how much did you make up? And I mean, tell me how you came up with all of this good material to entertain these serialized listeners. Well, you know, other people came up with a lot of it. So we, we brainstormed ideas and, and we were trying to figure out what exciting cases would be. And really that that's all about, you know, what's a hot topic now, what people are interested in. So, you know, I clerked a while ago now. So some of my, my experience wasn't directly relevant and the cases that I worked on weren't the cases. But what I, what I tried to do was to capture the feel of it, because I think there's still a, the similar experience of sort of going in and being intimidated by the fact that you're at the Supreme Court and you're talking to the justices and the words that you write in your memos might find their way into the Supreme Court decisions and become the law of the land. So there's there's that sort of majestic experience. And then there's the very real human interaction between the clerks, which is the other part of the drama in this, because, you know, the clerks have their rivalries and their friendships, and maybe they have love affairs. And so you've got these really interesting human dynamics with a group of young people who've never met each other before, thrown into this very old and very powerful institution where the justices have been there for much longer. I feel like it was like Gossip Girl grows up and goes to D.C. <laughs> totally. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's like this- we were saying it's like Felicity meets the West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I didn't realize what it was like. I mean, I didn't think that when you were clerks, there was this whole community. I didn't even think about it, I guess. I mean, I knew people who have been clerks at times, but this was a really interesting look for, you know, a lay person who had never really thought about it, of what it could be like, and even the competition. And do you clerk for the clerk that 
has the same values as you too, I found it interesting. Well, yeah, that's something that was really exciting to write about because I think what I learned from Kim that shocked me, but I guess it makes sense, is that most people graduating law school after, you know, when they're ready to interview for a clerkship at the Supreme Court, they interview with every justice. So that basically yeah. means you're willing to work for someone whose values or view of the Constitution doesn't align with your own, but you really want to work at the Supreme Court, so you take what you can get. That really fascinated me. So, yeah, there's definitely ideological clashes. Did you find that in your experience, Kim, that there really were people like, you know, at, at a bar after work being like, I don't know, I'm trying to pass whatever and I just don't believe in it at all? And I mean, it must be hard to sort of wrestle with that intellectually. Well, yeah, I mean, you would get people who had a very strong ideological agenda. You would get people who didn't really care and just wanted the prestige. You would get people who matched very well with their justices and were sort of on the same page. And then you would get people who, you know, sometimes almost by mistake got hired by a justice with whom they didn't agree. And then you'd have that tension within the chambers and the clerk would be like, I feel like this is wrong, but what do I do? You know, and where does my loyalty lie? And in the book, you touch on how the main character's father sort of wanted him to go in a different direction than he ended up going. And when he turned down, well, I don't want to give a lot away, but when the main character pursued a different path than maybe his family had intended for him, there became a lot of tension within the family. Did you ever have anything like that given your own family background or anything like that? Well, so, you know, with that character, there's, there's some biographical overlap. Not in that particular element. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have any conflict with my parents over which justice I was going to clerk for. For one thing, I only had one offer. Um, <laughs> but my, my parents would have been perfectly happy with me clerking for any justice, I think. You know, with that character, I, I sort of feel like every character I write is me, although I didn't come up with all these characters. It was, it was collaborative. But the way that I write characters is trying to become them. So, you know, to the extent that I'm not them to begin with, when I'm, when I'm writing them, I try to sort of ask, if I were this person, how would I feel? What would I do? Hmm. It's a little bit easier with some characters than others, I guess. And, you know, with this, with this character, I did have some experiences to draw on that were similar to his. And Alyssa, do you feel like having not been in this world yourself, your behind the scenes access was enough for you to imagine? I mean, your imagination is amazing. You've written all these great novels, but. I think it helped that I went to law school. Right. So I would say, yeah. I never clerked at the Supreme Court. Definitely, I found the tour very helpful just to access, like, I had done the public tour of the Supreme Court a million years ago with my high school, but I didn't remember it. And then going back now, as a graduate of law school, I worked at a law firm, having Kim give us, like, the ins and outs and just, like, the majesty of the building helped me access certain plot points that I never would have come up with otherwise. But it was, like, sort of fun to dust off my law degree a little bit because when we were talking about, you know, different I mean, we try to make the book accessible for, you know, non-lawyers. And I, I think you would agree. We you did, did a good job. Good job. With Check. That, Check you know? plus. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it did bring me back to some seminal cases that I remember studying. And so that was just refreshing. And I enjoyed that. I really like writing the fun stuff, like the rivalries. And I like writing, like, you yeah. know, they're roommates. Yeah. These yeah. Four, yeah, I know. Our four characters live together in a house. And so for me, like... I'm always going to prefer the fighting over the dirty dishes in the mm -hmm. sink and writing like about the hookups um, right. over, you know, the nitty gritty of the cases. But what's so great about First Read is that it really does have both. If you had a particular audience, you think this is like, you have to listen to this if you are XYZ. Do you have one or? I think it's like whoever loved the West Wing would really love this or like the one I 
blanking on the one with not um Juliana Margulies, the good the good wife, wife or the good wife. Like I feel yeah. like that's a great or show. Or Veep, because it's also really funny and competitive. Yeah. So I would say, like, anyone who loves those shows would love this. Do you have any fantasies for who would play anybody in the book? Oh, I should have been prepared for that. Kim? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. That's what I was just thinking. We should have We want to play the characters. Well, <laughs> <laughs> love it. Right. I mean, Kim is very yeah. Jack. I'm like, I could yeah. be Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, I'm very talented. So. There we go. Yeah, I don't know. Producers, hope you have heard that <laughs> these two amazing authors are throwing their hats in the ring. They are now going to be actors <laughs> in addition to everything else. We're available. <laughs> so funny. So having completed the stage of this project, what next? Are you going, are you already thinking about the next sort of season? Are you writing the next season? Are you thinking about collaborating on another project entirely? Would you want to make this into an actual bookstore type book mm-hmm. versus justice with this content, with new content? So we are definitely interested in writing a season two. And actually, in order to sell this to Mark Cuban's company, we had to come up with what we, where did we see it going? So we have like a one pager on season two. And the book doesn't end at the end of the clerk's term. It ends at Christmas time. So there's Plenty Tons more left, to yes. say, but we don't know yet. We haven't been greenlit for a second season yet, but I don't know. Well, I shouldn't say we'll definitely do it because we need to negotiate our contract. Yeah, we exactly. We're busy and right. we're not sure we're yes. available. <laughs> so many competing obligations. Yes. And then I think we did, we, we do have some other news. Kim, do you want to? Ooh, news. We do, yeah. So some of the members of this writing team, including us, have been working on a pilot for Audible Originals. Wow. For Amazon which is in some ways similar because it's, it's in the audio format, but it's just audio and it's sort of more like a radio drama than a book. So it's, you know, it's audio, but it's not narrated. It just sort of acted out, which was a very different writing challenge because now you can't describe the action at all. You've got to convey it all through the dialogue. I'm feeling like there's a podcast in your guys' future. I feel like that's um, not too far a- away from this sort of... That would be amazing. I mean... Why not? Why not? <laughs> so cool. So let's say there's somebody out there who thinks this is just the coolest thing ever. I'm sure there are more. I'm sure there's more than one person who thinks this is super cool. But I love, I find this particularly exciting because reading in today's world, blah, 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 has so many different, there's so many ways to consume stories. And this particular way, Serial Box, the way you're doing it now, your new Audible original, whatever, it's just a whole new way to consume stories and material and writing and whatever. Let's say someone's like, I have to do this. This is the coolest. How do you even get into, how do you know how to get into like writing a radio drama that'll be on Audible? And like, do, is it, it seems like there's a insurmountable mountain, like there's a clear path to traditional publishing, but I'm not sure what this path is. I mean, as far as the, how to write it or how to make the right connections. I mean, basically we, you know, we're sitting together in DC and Serial Box and our producer jumped ship in the middle and got a job. She had to move to the UK for family, work, whatever. And she ended up taking a job with Audible Originals. So we had this connection to her, which was great. And then as far as the learning curve of how to write in that style, um, Amazon provided us with scripts. So that was really helpful. And then the, I was really intimidated by the screenwriting software because I'm not good at computers, but you know, (laughs) turns out that if you just focus for five minutes, you can learn how to do it. And I actually think that as a writer's dialogue is my strength. So in some ways, I'm better off in this format. Interesting. How about you, Kim? Do you have any advice for anybody trying to master this type of writing? 
Well, with any type of writing, I think the most important thing to do is read. Read something that's similar to what you want to write. I think that's how you learn the technique. Yeah, that helps. All right. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, well, thanks for sharing your story with readers and the behind the scenes of Serial Box and First Street and everything else. So it's really exciting. Now people can go and listen and read and feel like they're really cool and with it and everything else. (laughs) One of the writers is a little bit older who's on our team, and I guess her I think it was her grandchild was like super impressed that she had written for Serial Box because it's like very hip. Yes, apparently. Totally. Yeah, we're excited. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books was sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket by Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg, dr-gen.com. Enter code PIP20, PIP20, for 20% off of these can't-miss modules that will make your parenting life so much easier. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.